Thank you for listening in to this podcast from Valley View Church. Verse 1 through verse 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about and beheld. Behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Oh, hallelujah. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. I want you to notice one thing in this very familiar passage that you've heard so many times. I want you to notice one particular thing in this passage, and that is this. It is the man of God. Now, you understand one thing. It was God who breathed. It was God who brought life. It was God who performed the miracle. But I want you to notice what I believe to be the key element in this passage was the man or the son of God. Not Jesus, but the son Ezekiel. You see, when we're brought into the kingdom and we're washing the blood of the Lamb, we become sons and daughters of the Lord. Amen. But Ezekiel had one thing here that had to be done, and it was this. It was obedience. Different times you see in this scripture, the Lord said, prophesy. In other words, open your mouth and speak it and declare it. Man of God, if you stand there and just look upon these bones, they will remain dead. They will remain dry. If you just look upon these bones and you wish for it to come, it will not change. But when he looked upon these bones and he began to prophesy, 
The Bible said when he began to prophesy to the wind, when he began to do, as the Lord said, breath came into their bodies, into those bones, and they came together, and they stood up as an increasing or a mighty army of the Lord. Turn me back up, brother. An increasing army in the Lord. But the key here was this. The man of God had to be obedient. The man of God had to be willing. The man of God had to do what the Lord spoke in him. That being said, I want to share with you this morning, after we have a word of prayer on this thought, and I want you to hear it very well, revival starts with me. Revival starts with me. I want everybody in this room to say that with me. Revival starts with me me. Father, I ask you now to anoint this word. And I ask you now, God, to anoint me to preach. Anoint me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, in a very powerful, in a very unique way today, let your word, Lord, penetrate in our spirit and in our thought process. Let it penetrate who we are. And God, I pray, Lord, as that penetration takes place, God, that our mind will be open. Our spirits will be open. Our bodies will be open, Lord, to your word. And Lord, we will begin to act upon and react to the word of God in the way you intended, Father. And I pray, Lord, that your purpose and your plan shall be revealed and fulfilled in this place today. And God, I ask and I believe these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Shake somebody's hand and tell them you love them in Jesus today. Amen. Tiffany and Anna Grace, thank you so much for prayer and for Scripture this morning. Oh, the presence of the Lord that is in this room. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with me. I want to begin by saying this to you. God's plan for us is to be the flame. God's plan for every single one of us in this church is to be the flame. God started a flame in the church. He began a flame in the church. And I want to tell you, regardless of what many believe or what many think, the flame has never gone out. But God has plan and purpose for each one of us to become that flame that would continue to burn and move forward for His glory. So God's plan is for you to be the flame. It's not enough to belong to a place or be a part of a church where the fire burns, we must become the flame that burns. It's one thing for God to burn in here. It's one thing for God to send the flame among us, but it's another thing for us to take what he allows to come alive in us and carry it out beyond the four walls of this building or the walls of this place and burn in our society, burn in our city, burn on the, in the workplace 
place, burning our homes, wherever we may be, to burn for his glory. I will remind you that the church is a body that is made up of many members. It is not just one or two, but it is made up of many members. And just as a body has many bones, just as a wall has many stones, and an army is made up of many soldiers, can I tell you the church of the living God is made up of many members. And I want everyone in this house to understand the church must be revived, and the church needs revival. And if there's ever been a time that revival and restoration and refreshing must happen in the house of God, it is now. But I want you to understand that the church is made up of many members, and if revival is going to happen in the house of God, it's going to have to start on an individual level with every single person who is a part of the body of Christ and allow themselves to be burned to burn for the glory of God and allow the kindle of the fire of revival to restore who they are. You see, it starts with one person. I told you earlier, revival begins or starts with me. Revival starts with you. A wall can only be built by the setting of many fitting stones. But I want you to understand it takes individual stones to come together to build that wall. And what does the Bible say about you and me? The Bible calls us living stones. That's what he calls us in the Word of God. You know what that means? He's talking about stones that are alive. He's talking about stones that have spiritual breath in them. Stones that are living and breathing in the presence and in the power of the Lord. And I want you to know this morning revival comes only as individual stones are set on fire for the glory of the Lord. I want you to realize God is still building a wall in this late hour. And it takes individual stones to build that wall. And you're a stone. I'm a stone. Each and every one of us. But I got news for you. God never intended for the wall to be built with a little fire here and a little fire there and not so much here and not so much there. He meant every living stone to be alive in his presence. Amen. Ezekiel 37 is definitely and undeniably about revival. It is definitely and undeniably about revival when you read this passage. The end result is an entire army that's being raised up to fight the Lord's battle. It's an entire army that rose up to do the will of the Lord. But it all happened what? By the breath of God, as a man of God, obey God. Amen. And I want you to hear this this morning. It's very important. I believe that the spirit of revival is still sweeping this land. I believe that the spirit of revival is still sweeping through. And it is taking place where people will be open and where people will be yielded and people will be submissive to real revival. I'm not talking about sporadic pop-up moves, but I'm talking about a real revival of the spirit of God. 
God. And I want you to understand that the spirit of revival is still sweeping the land. And I believe that the wind of God, the breath of God is still blowing and still breathing upon the people of God who will be yielded to him and receive his breath. Understand something this morning that the Holy Ghost of God is moving today just like he did on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost of God is reigning today just like he did on the day of Pentecost. The fire of God is still falling just like it did on the day of Pentecost. But let me tell you why we don't hear about a lot of burning anymore. Let me tell you why we don't hear about a lot of fire anymore. Because when he rains down, so many have put a cap over where they are and they will not receive and they will not receive the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But I can't speak for anybody else. But I'm going to speak as a shepherd of this church. God, take the cap off of where we are. Take the cap off of who we are. And God, pour your spirit out and let the glory of God, let it rain upon us again. Let it fill us again. Let it saturate us again. And, Lord, let it saturate us so to the point, God, that we will live drenched in your spirit. Oh, God, help us this morning. I believe God is raising up, and I mean this with all of my heart. I believe he's raising up an army of blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled believers in this late hour. A, a, a believers, blood-washed, excuse me, blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled believers in this late hour. He's doing a unique thing in the church. And I want everyone in this house to hear me when I say this. Listen to me. Revival is a personal thing. Revival is a personal thing. Thank God for revival. It sweeps over and in and through the church. But revival begins with every individual person. It begins with who you are. And I want you to notice before there was an army in Ezekiel's boneyard, as the Bible said, there was just a valley of dry bones. It seemed like impossibility. It seemed like it could not happen. It seemed like it would not happen. I want to just tell you this, if Ezekiel had stood there that day like many would today, scratching their head thinking, well, this ain't never going to happen. How can this be? How can this ever take place? If he had stood there, there would have never been an army rose up. But there was something that rose up in the man of God, that when the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to the man of God, he didn't hesitate, he didn't reserve, but he stepped up and he obeyed the will of the Lord. And I believe with all of my heart, when he began to open his mouth, all it took was him to begin to move his lips. When he began to open his mouth, Wendy, all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord began to move with the moving of his mouth. And the more he spoke and the more he declared, as we talked about this morning, declaring the name of Jesus, the more he spoke and the more he declared, the more the breath of God, the wind of God began to blow. And I want everyone in this house to hear me. It starts with an individual person. Every bone in that boneyard had to have a personal revival. 
Not just the body that it came from, but every single bone had to have revival. The life of God, the fire of God, the supernatural power of God got inside every single bone. And I want you to hear me. Revival took place. Now, just imagine for a moment about the smallest bone I can think of on my body would be that bone at the end of my little finger. If you've ever seen the skeleton and you've seen it, that bone at about the last little digit of your little finger, probably one of the smallest bones upon your body. Can I tell you that little digit on the end of the finger had to have revival all the way down to the femur or the biggest bone in the body. It had to have revival. But I want you to understand when the breath of God began to breathe upon them, something began to shake and revival began to take place. But I got to tell you, it took obedience. And if you want revival to happen in your life, if you want revival to happen in this church, and it already is, can I tell you, it's up to each and every one of us to allow God to be and do what God wants to do in us on an individual level. And I'm going to just tell you, Revival's happening in this house. No one person started it, and no one person's going to stop it. Did you hear what I said? No one person started it, and no one person is going to stop it. But as every individual person gets in more and more, listen to me. The only way to have revival is to become revival. You want something to happen, become it. Do it. The only way to have revival is to become revival. In other words, every bone must become committed to the process. Every person must become committed to the process. The wall is only as alive as the living stones that make up the wall. The church is only as alive as the members of the body that are in it. Amen? 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 The first thing in pursuit of revival we must decide is this. If you want revival in your life, if you want revival like you've never seen before, the first pursuit, part of pursuit of revival is this. We must commit ourselves to the process. Now, I've made up my mind. I'm just going to be real with you, up front with you for just a minute. If nobody else wants revival, I'm going to get it. If nobody else wants it, I'm going to have it. If nobody else desires it, I'm going after it. If nobody else wants to be a part, I'm going to be a part. But I got news for you. We got a church full of people right here at Valley View Church that want it, that desire it, that are going after it, that are hungry for it, that long for it with everything in them. And I declare to you, because of that hunger, because of that longing, Revival will happen in the house of God. But hear this, true revival cannot be scheduled or it cannot be placed on a calendar. Now understand what I mean by that. I used to be an evangelist. I understand what scheduling revival is all about. 
And it's necessary, it's needful, but understand this. A revival is not a series of church services that take place in a church building over a period of four or five, maybe seven to ten days. Revival can come out of a meeting, but it's not the meeting itself. You see, our perception and our definition of what revival is is we bring someone in, they preach three or four days, we get a little bit excited, and we go on about our way, and we say, we've had revival. Well, that's good. That's wonderful. And like I said, I'm not taking anything away from that. It's necessary. It's needful. It's a must. But understand this when I tell you this. It's not just about that particular period of time. Revival can happen anywhere, anytime an individual or collective group of people decide they want to move a God. I said it can happen anywhere, anytime an individual or a collective group decide they want a move of God. God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, to prophesy to these dry bones. And in verse 5 it said this, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Revival has everything to do with life. Revival has everything to do with life. And I want to be careful what I'm fixing to say here, but I want everybody to hear me. There are hearts in this church and probably every other church that you come connected with or that you may visit. There are hearts in this church and every other church that are cold and hard and callous and resentful and bitter and guilt-ridden, dry and lifeless. It happens in every church. It happens in every setting. What do you mean? The enemy has come in so mightily and so powerfully that it has caused some to fall to this place. I want to encourage you and tell you I'm not talking about everyone in this building. But I will say this to you. In every setting, you may find one. In every setting, you may find a couple. In every setting, you may find it there. But here's what I want you to understand. Outside of a move of Jesus Christ upon someone in this state, they will not come to a state of conviction or repentance. The only thing that can fix it is when a prayer of intercession and supplication takes place on their behalf and the Spirit of the Lord begins to move and conviction begins to flow. Understand. When conviction begins to flow, it will deal and stir in the hearts of people and it will motivate who they are. But I want you to hear this. We pray for revival, but praying for revival means praying for change. I want everybody in this house to listen to this. It means praying for change. The change has to start with the person who's doing the praying. If we're praying for revival, then we got to be willing to change. And it's got to start with the person who's doing the praying for revival to take place in my, in my community. Change has got to start with me. Amen? For revival to take place in a church, in a community, or a city, it has to start with prayer. But I'm not talking about a five-minute prayer. I'm not talking about a now lay me down to sleep prayer. I'm talking about real prayer that gets down to business with God and begins to touch God and begins to move God on behalf of people and the church, not your average prayer. Prayer, but listen, prayer will begin to change the person who is praying. When you get real about prayer, change will start in you. When you get real about seeking the Lord, 
change will start in you. You cannot sincerely pray and sincerely seek God and get real with God without changing in some way. It will happen. I said it will happen. Deeper prayer causes you to understand that outside of God doing the work, change will not come. When true revival comes, it comes with a force of a tsunami. It comes in a way, a force of the Spirit and a force of the power of God. It will bring the thunder and lightning of conviction. It will bring the thunder and lightning of repentance. It will stir the hearts of people to the place that they will change. When real revival happens in the house of God, listen to me. People will fall at the altar to confess and repent of their sin. Lost people will come to know Jesus. People will have a hunger for the Word of God. And I want to say this. I believe if there's one thing we need to get back to and one thing that needs to be restored and renewed in the people of God is a hunger for the Word of God again. A hunger and a desire for the Word of God again. But can I tell you, when we think about revival, we think about lost people getting saved, as I said a moment ago, and it will happen. It does take place. But you want to know the reality? Revival is not really so much for the lost as it is for the church. Because revival means something is restored. Revival means something is refreshed. Revival means something is motivated again. Revival means something has to change. But understand this, if you will. When the people begin to seek the Lord and conviction begins to happen, these things begin to take. People will have a hunger for the Word of God. People will want to become passionate and devoted to Jesus again. And I'm going to say this to you. I believe there needs to be a desire for the Word of God like never before. There needs to be a passion to serve Jesus like never before. And my prayer has been as a pastor, Lord, let revival fill this place. God, let revival. Yesterday I was in this building two different times, once in the morning, once in last night, and I was seeking the Lord, and what I began to pray was this. I just said, Lord, send revival. God, send revival. God, send revival. God, let revival sweep over this place. Let revival fill this house. Let revival fill this place. What do you mean, pastor? Yes, I want lost people to be saved. Yes, I want lost people to come in. And yes, I want their lives to be transformed. But God, send revival upon the people of God that will draw us back to your word again, that will cause us to be passionate about Jesus again, that will cause us to be passionate about our relationship with God again, that will cause us to live and breathe and walk with a passion for the Lord like never before. we got to be passionate. The change that revival brings, listen, is uncomfortable. When revival really starts happening, it's not easy. It, gets, uh, it makes us uncomfortable. It pulls you out of your comfort zone. Real revival will reach inside you and destroy everything. Did you hear that? Real revival will reach inside you and it will destroy everything. It'll get topsy-turvy. What does that mean? It means you will be wrecked with a deeper understanding of the gospel and more passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what I said. You'll be wrecked with a deeper understanding. You'll be purged of any known sin. Your life as you know it will be changed to become more conformable to the image of Jesus. Oh, I like that. When revival punches a person in the soul, it begins to remove layers of pain, baggage, guilt, sin, and whatever else needs to get out of that person in order for them to get in right standing with God. That's what revival will do. Many people pray for revival. 
I'll be careful here, but don't you listen to me. Many people pray for revival. Many people pray for change as long as they're not the one who has to change. Many people pray for revival. Many people pray for change as long as they're not the one that has to change. As long as nothing has to change in their life. As long as nothing has to be different about them. As long as nothing has to change in who they are. But I want to tell you, you cannot get one without the other. you got to change if you want revival. And if revival happens, it will change who you are. It will transform who you are. When revival happens, it will transform who you are. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Let me read that again. He said the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. I want you to understand. I'm going to pick on me for a minute. I know that the closer I get to God and the more I become conformed to the image of Christ, the more he's going to reveal things in me that need to change. The closer I get to God and the more I become conformed to Jesus Christ, he's going to open my eyes to things that need to become different things that need to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to notice, look with me for a moment. Let me talk about me. It's my thoughts. It's my heart. It's my plans. It's my desire, my action, my relationship, my passions, my life that has to change, not Jesus. My thoughts, my life, my heart, my passion, my desires, everything about me has to change. I need more of God's redeeming love. I need more of God's redeeming grace. I need more of God's redeeming mercy in my life. Did you hear me? I need more of the grace of God. I need more of his redemptive power. Listen, for a country to be revived, a state has to be revived. For a state to be revived, a city has to be revived. For a city to be revived, a church has to be revived. But for my church to be revived, I have to be revived. Do you understand what I'm telling you? It comes down to the personal level. Revival begins with me. Revival begins with you. It starts with us, and it starts with who we are. Revival must start in you and me. True revival is more than just the Holy Spirit coming and giving you a jump start. I'm going to say it the way I feel it. True revival is more than the Holy Ghost coming down and kicking us in the seat of the pants and saying, get after it. True revival is more than the Holy Ghost coming down and giving us a jump start in who we are. True revival is getting back to the foundation of our faith. The foundation of who we are. True revival always, listen to this, always, always begins with repentance. We dealt with this last Sunday morning very briefly. But true revival always begins with repentance. And I want you to listen to me. I don't get ahead of myself. But repentance needs to happen in the house of God. Number one, repentance for sin and things that have separated us from God. Number two, for the ways that we may have drifted from the Lord. Number three, for the things that we have allowed to overpower us and weaken our spirit. 
Now, where I'm going from here, I want everybody in this house to listen to me very close. I hope you've heard everything I've said, but I want you to listen very intently now. You can measure the success of true revival by the depth of repentance. I said you can measure the success of true revival by the depth of repentance that happens in the house of the Lord. A.W. Tozer said it like this, the blessing follows the plow. The blessing follows the plow. Sometimes God's got to plow up our fallow ground. Sometimes God has got to till up where we are. In other words, God's blessings come where the Word of God is allowed to penetrate the heart and plow up the soil and root out that which is offensive to the Holy Ghost. Did you hear what I said? To till up and to root out that which is offensive to the Holy Ghost. Worship team, if you'll come. To till up and to break forth and to bring out that which is offensive to God. Sometimes we got to let God get a hold of us and get out of us what has become offensive to the Lord and we don't even know it. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so necessary. This is why it's so needful that you hear what I'm about to say because everybody in this room has got to get it. Hosea 10 and 12 said it like this. He said, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Remember what I said earlier about in every church, there may be some who are plagued with these different things, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to remain that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. But I want you to notice here when he talked about breaking up your fallow ground and he began to tell us to seek the Lord. Repentance is a word that you don't hear much anymore. But basically what the Lord is saying, he said it's time to repent. It's time to let God break up and reteal the soil of your life. Let God begin to stir in you and wake you up and show you the things that have become a hindrance or the things that have become a barrier or the things that have gotten in the way. Let God clarify to you and then you repent before God and you make these things right and clear with Him. Let me say it like this. Everyone, please listen to me. Let me say it this way. You may have some things in your life that you regret, but regret is not repentance. Did you hear what I just said? Repentance is a word you don't hear much anymore. But repentance is something that must, must happen in the house of God. It must happen in the society in which we live. But there's people in this world today, they're living with things that they regret, things of their past, things of yesterday, things that they wish had never happened, things that they wish they could change. But understand, you may have some things in your life that you regret, but because you regret doesn't mean you have repented. What does it mean? You must break up your fallow ground and repent before the Lord and move toward God. 
John, John the Baptist's message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' message in Matthew 4 and 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles' message was in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Listen to me. I believe if there's one thing God is doing, yes, he's reaching out to the sinner. Yes, he's reaching out to the lost. And he's reaching out to bring them in. He's reaching out to save their soul and deliver them from sin. But yes, at the same time, God is trying to pull his people closer to him. God is trying to pull us under his wing. God is trying to pull us into nearness. God is trying to pull us into that closeness, that place with him. I want somebody in this room to hear me. Maybe you have walked with God and you have a relationship with the Lord. You're saved. You're sanctified. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. But maybe you feel like you're a distant from the Lord or you're distant from his presence. Let me say this to you. God is trying to pull you in to the closeness of who he is and pull you in to his glory and pull you into his grace and pull you into his goodness. Listen, refreshing and revival follows repentance. Now this is important and I close with this. If you've heard nothing else I've said this day, please hear me right now. Maybe you need revival of repentance because of sin or because of some wrongdoing in your life. But maybe you need revival of refreshing because depression or oppression or fear has attached itself to you. Maybe you need a revival of refreshing because personal disappointment has attached itself to you. Can I tell you? That fear can make you feel distant from God. Can I tell you depression can make you feel distant from God? I know I've been there. Can I tell you that oppression can make you feel distant from God? I know I've been there. Can I tell you personal disappointments can make you feel distant from God? Here's a word everybody in this house needs to grab on to and you need to hold on to, and it is this. You are not a weak Christian because you've been attacked by the devil. You are not a weak Christian because you have been attacked by the enemy. You are not a weak Christian because there's been a battle going on in your life. What do you mean, Pastor? Your witness has not been destroyed. Your walk has not been decimated. Your feet have not been moved. Are you listening to me? So what? You've gone through depression. It doesn't mean that your faith has been destroyed. It may not be as strong as it once was, but it's not been destroyed. It doesn't mean that your witness has been destroyed. It doesn't mean that your walk has been destroyed. So what if you've gone through oppression? It doesn't mean you're not a child of God anymore. So what if you walk through fear? It doesn't mean you're not a child of God anymore. Somebody listen to me. Everybody in this room deals with personal disappointments. We all deal with it. Just because you've walked through that valley does not mean you're a weak Christian. Just because you've walked through that low place doesn't mean you're a weak Christian. Just because the devil's made himself look so big in your life does not mean you're
you're a weak Christian, can I remind you of the simple thing that the Word says to us? But it may be simple to many, but it's one of the most powerful things in the Word of God. Greater is he that lives in us than he that lives in the world. Begin playing softly, Colin. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I want to say that again. If my people, he didn't say strangers. He didn't say people, James, I don't know. Sinners are alienated from God till they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's not who he's talking to. Not here. If I read it right. But he said, if my people, listen, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, we're still talking about his people, right? Then he said, turn from their wicked ways. That must mean something got in the way somewhere, Joe. That must mean there was a barrier somewhere. That must mean there was a hindrance somewhere. That means something had to get in the way. Something had to happen. But he said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Won't you stand to your feet all across this room? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Father, I thank you for this word today, and I thank you for how you spoke to our hearts. God, you've dealt strongly with us. God, you have moved mightily upon us. And Lord, just looking over this house and seeing this congregation from everyone I can see, most every person in this house that I know, I believe dearly loves you with all their heart. And I believe that their earnest desire and their earnest longing is to serve you, to live for you, and to be real for you. Lord, there may be one that I spoke about earlier that may be cold, but you can change that. There may be one, God, who's dealing with some of the adversities that I spoke of earlier. You can change all of that. But God, I believe there's a house full of people in this room. 
that really want you, that really long for you, that really desire you. But yet, Lord, they walk through a place that's been tough. They walk through a place that's been hard. They walk through a place that's been unrecognizable to them. But, Lord, they're still walking. God, they're still pushing. They're still moving. And, Lord, if they're not moving, they're still standing. But they're still there. They're still in the fight. They're still pushing on. They're still holding on. They're still believing. God, there's people in this room who have prayed prayers that the enemy's tried to get them to doubt and the enemy's tried to get them to give up on because it has not happened yet. But I'm asking you today to encourage their faith and encourage them. God, there's people in this room that are hurting because their children are hurting. There's people in this room that are hurting because their families are hurting. God, there's people in this room that are devastated because of things they've witnessed. I'm asking you, Lord, to heal their hurts, to quiet their fears, to give peace in the midst of turmoil. God, there's people in this room who have walked through depression, who have walked through oppression, who have walked through fear. And the enemy has made them to believe that they're not who they used to be. That they're not what you made them to be. They're not what you created them to be. Well, Lord, that's a lie from hell. They're not a weak Christian because they have been depressed. They're not a weak Christian because they've been oppressed. They're not a weak Christian because they've dealt with fear. They're not a weak Christian because they walked through the valley. They're not a weak Christian because they faced adversity. They are still who you call them to be, and they are still your child. God, I don't stop loving my children because they walk through certain places. I love them regardless. I don't stop loving my children, Lord, because they face certain things in their life. I love them regardless. God, you don't stop loving us because of where we find ourselves sometime. You love us regardless. Now, Father, I ask you to speak to every heart and life in this room. But I pray today that not one person that obeys you will leave without being truly changed in this room in Jesus' name. Amen.